Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Your eyes be opened, that we might see, and our ears, that we might hear, and our hearts to once again prepare him room. In his name we pray. Amen. I don't think any of us would argue with the fact that we are living in difficult days. The economy is in a nosedive and terrorism, as we have seen witness this week, is on the rise. Violence is, seems to be rampant in many of the, the streets of large cities and small communities. For so many people, life is cheap. And despite some of the statistics that we read, it appears as though the church seems to be less and less influential to do much of anything about it. And there are many factors that we might turn to that uh, we could envision contributing to our lack of influence. But it seems to me that one of the central problems that we encounter is that our image of God is simply too often far too small. In some of our attempts to make God relevant, in our attempts to protect God from false accusations, in our attempts to defend God, we too often end up domesticating God and taming God and minimizing God into an image that looks an awful lot like us. At the very least, into an image that is perfectly explainable and controllable by us. And at just the moment when we need a God who is big enough for all that's going on in the world and all the stuff that we face, we paint an image of God that is small and contained. There's no wonder that we are having trouble coping with all that's happening in the world and all the stuff that's happening in our lives. And no wonder people consider us irrelevant to the troubles of the world and the troubles of their lives. And this is precisely why Advent is so important for us. Advent is a time to prepare us once again for the coming of Christ, to give us a few weeks to contemplate the meaning of Christ's coming Time to consider the bigness of God. Ironically, it is only because that our God is so uncontainable that he is willing to be born into containment of human flesh. It's only because our God is so far beyond us that he's willing to become one of us. It's only because the one we worship is, is so big That he comes as someone so small. The incarnation, the word become flesh, reveals the bigness of our God. And it's imperative for us to see this and to know this, to believe this and to experience this once again. Until we know God as he is, we will struggle with hopelessness and despair, and we will live as people imprisoned in a world of uncertainty, in a world of distrust. This is what J.B. Phillips, I think, was trying to communicate in his treatise in the 1950s that he titled, Your God is Too Small. 
He'd come to realize that so many people, including Christians, live with a skewed and limited view of God. We put God in a box based on our experiences or based on our theological perspectives, based on our hurts and and the pains and the struggles that we have encountered. And we limit God. I think one of the ways we tend to limit God is is by rules and regulations because those kinds of things are far more controllable for us. The rules and regulations are important and and God intends, he gives them to us to help us live with, with less pain and heartache, at least from the kind of pain and heartache that we bring on ourselves. It's at the heart of the Ten Commandments. It's at the heart of, our, of the laws that he gives for relationships and what we do with money and the importance of caring for others. It's at the heart of all of the laws that God gives Israel, the dietary laws and the, the cleanliness rituals. It's, it's for their well-being. But because of our sinful human nature, we miss that. And so the Israelites believe that if they just follow the rules... They've got God in their back pocket. We have a tendency to do the same thing. We often have a tendency to believe that God is most concerned with our willingness to be good. When in reality, God is most concerned with our relationship with him. And to say that God is most concerned with us being good is to limit God to our small, calculated way of thinking. And again, we come back to why we need Advent. To remind us that Christ comes, that Christ is born into this world, not because we are good, and not because we think we can be good, but because God is good. Because God loves us, and because God wants relationship with us. Because God is willing to do what needs to be done to bridge the gap between him who is good and we who are not. As one writer puts it, it's true that relationships are a whole lot messier than rules. But rules will never give you answers to the deep questions of the heart. And they will never love you. So the Christian ideal is not rules, it's Christ. Rules are small and binding. Christ is big and free. And yet, because of our sinful human nature, we are continually wrestling with this truth. We like rules because they're neat. They're attractive to our need and desire to control. And we keep going back to them. Somehow thinking that if we just do right, that will make our relationship with God right. Benjamin Franklin was a master of proverbial statements. Some of them are so well known that many people, including some Christians, believe that they are even biblical. Some of them are true. They're helpful for living more effective lives. For instance, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's some truth to that. Penny saved is a penny earned. Time is money. In a world, nothing is certain but death and taxes. Franklin has his hand. That's a pretty good grasp on some of those things. But at least one of Franklin's proverbs, though well accepted in society, is unbiblical. 
And it may not be original with Franklin, but it does show up in the 1736 edition of his Poor Richard's Almanac. It's become a symbol in many ways of of civic religion in America. The statement that says, God helps those who help themselves. And we like that phrase because it fits our, our, our work ethic kind of religion. We like it because it fits our gravitation towards self-sufficiency. We like it because it fits our desire and need to control life. We like it because it sounds really fair to us. And I have heard many Christians, Christians quote this phrase as part of their theological system. And I've watched others who deny that it's true live as though they believe it's true. But Advent shouts to us that it's wrong. In fact, I can hardly imagine a phrase more antithetical, even more hostile to the purpose of Christ's coming. Advent tells us not God helps those who help themselves. Advent tells us God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who don't help themselves. God helps those who won't help themselves. And that is good news that each of us ought to hear and celebrate because it reminds us that our God is bigger than our sin or our ability to be good. Isn't this what the prophet is, God's communicating through the prophet Isaiah? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. People in darkness can't help themselves, so God sends light. Isn't this the point that Jesus makes as he tells the the disciples and the crowd who have uh, witnessed the the miraculous change in the life of of the tax collector Zacchaeus? Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't say, I came to seek and to save those who are already found, or those who are perfect, or those who are good, but the lost the sinners of the world. And of course, we realize that's you and me. And Advent reminds us that Christ comes not because we are good or deserving or even have the capacity to be good and deserving, but because God is good and gracious. And Advent tells us that God is not only good, but that he is willing to go to any length necessary to help us see and understand and experience his grace and goodness. St. Athanasius, in his historic treatise on the Incarnation, says that uh, when the madness of sin blinds the world to the knowledge and truth and the image of God, who could possibly restore the truth about God? And he says, human beings have tried, but our sinfulness keeps getting in the way. We fall short. Some people look to creation, but creation has been revealing God from the beginning, and evil continues. And so he says, no one but God could reveal himself. And so the eternal son takes on human flesh in a young woman's womb and is born into the world, fully human yet fully divine, in order to uncover, to reveal The exact, true image of God. A God who is big and gracious. This is what Paul is saying 
When he writes to the Ephesians, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness, all the fullness of God. Jesus comes that we might know the length and breadth and height and depth of God's loving grace for us. Of course, we cannot forget that Advent only has meaning because of the cross. One of Michael Card's haunting ballads begins with these words, Long ago he blessed the earth, born older than the years, and in the stall the cross he saw, the first of many tears. A life of homeless wandering, cast out in sorrow's way, the shepherd seeking for the lost. His life, the price he'd pay. Advent gives us time to ponder that the incarnation has meaning only as it leads us to the cross through which we are redeemed and by which we see clearly the full lengths to which our great God is willing to stoop in order to save us. This is why communion is the culmination of our worship here today. We eat the bread and we drink the cup in the shadow of these Advent candles. The candles draw us to Christ's birth and they also lead us to Christ's death. These candles that bring to mind images of of a manger cannot be separated from images of wood and nails. And in his coming and in his dying, we are reminded that it's all for us, for all the world, because God is gracious and good and loving and merciful and desires intimacy with us and is willing to do whatever needs to be done to bring that intimacy to reality. Our God is big enough to meet every one of us at our point of sin and need and in his grace redeem us. One day a little boy was playing in the house and he was a boy who loved mechanical things, machines and gadgets. He'd play with them by the hour. And this day, this little boy, about three years old, had been working with a tape recording most of the afternoon. And finally looked up at his mom and he said, Mom, you know what the trouble with life is? She said, No, I don't. What's the trouble with life? This three-year-old boy sitting on the floor who had thoroughly reflected on both Fisher-Price technology and the condition of human existence made an an amazingly profound statement. He said, the trouble with life is that it doesn't have a rewind button. You know, we all fall short and we would love a rewind button just to turn that back and start it over. We know there isn't one. And sometimes the acknowledgement of that truth, recognizing our sinfulness and all the ways in which we fall short, can be so overwhelming it feels despairing. 
in this frame of mind for ourselves and for our world, we step into the season of Advent. And it reminds us that despite the reasons for despair and anguish and remorse and lament, we can actually live in joy and peace and forgiveness and celebration because of Christ. Because our God, who is not limited by what we do or don't do, in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the light of the world, comes in grace to redeem us and to restore us, to make us new and to build relationship with him. This morning, as we prepare to receive the bread and the cup, let us give thanks that we worship a God of grace. Father, in this season, when we celebrate the coming of your Son, we give thanks and praise. You created all things and you called them good. You made us in your own image. And even though we rebelled against your love, you did not desert us. You delivered us from captivity and made covenant to be our sovereign God. You spoke to us through prophets who looked for that day when when justice would Roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. When nation would no longer lift up sword against nation. And that they would learn of war no more. Therefore, with the prophets and all who have looked for a better age to come, with your people in all ages and the whole company of heaven, we join the song of an ending praise, saying, Holy Holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy is your name and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to be a light to the nations. You scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts and have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. You put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt those of low degree. You fill the hungry with good things and the rich you send empty away. Your own son came among us as a servant to be Emmanuel, your presence with us. He humbled himself in obedience to your will and freely accepted death on a cross. On the night he offered himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from captivity to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant. Therefore, in remembrance of all your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living and holy surrender of ourselves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. Be one body in him, cleansed by his blood. Faithfully serve him in this world. And look forward to that day foretold by prophets and apostles, when the one who came in humility and who comes today in word and spirit shall come in final victory. Through him, with him, and in him. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen.